Coming to you from the AT&T Podcast Studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Jennifer Palmer covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She attended the Board of Education meeting last week where they approved a $3.9 billion budget proposal for fiscal year 25. Jennifer, what can you tell us about the Education Department's financial priorities for the next year based on the budget? So this budget has, um, you know, a lot of things we would expect. It does have uh, basically a flat funding for the um, funding formula. Um, That's the money that goes directly to schools. It includes what the legislature added last year, um, which is, you know, the teacher pay raises, uh, the maternity leave, all of those things. Um, you know, it's got a flat amount for textbooks, um, which is is pretty typical. Um, and the the place where we saw the most difference was in the line item for um, public school activities. And that's kind of where we see a lot of different programs and um, things that the State Department funds. As Superintendent Ryan Walters pitched a new bonus program for teachers and tutors this time around. What's that going to cost? Right. This was the largest um, portion of that public school activity line. Um, It was a $60.5 million um, proposal, and it would do um, a, a variety of things. Most of the money, though, would be allocated toward teacher bonuses. This is a favorite Um, plan of Walters. He already has a small one-time bonus program that is in the works. um, And that was for, you know, uh, early ed teachers, um, like, you know, third grade and under, and special education teachers and new teachers. But this plan would be more for um, existing teachers who you know, show student growth in reading, math, And there's a little bit of funding for um, tutoring and civics teachers as well. Any proposed cuts in that budget? There were a few cuts. Um, You know, the Teach for America program was uh, zeroed out in Walter's budget um, that was passed. Also, there was a, a program called Imagine Math and Imagine Reading that also was zeroed out. That was one of those um, pandemic era programs that the state started purchasing to give teachers this, you know, online curriculum to kind of help supplement what they were already doing. Now, Walters uh, at the meeting emphasized that uh, this budget is $47 million less than last year, which is Percentage-wise, uh, do you remember one percent or something, percent and a half, something like that? Uh, now, uh, you reported some caveats, though, to consider when uh, considering that a reduced budget, right? Tell us about that. Right. I mean, as we're hearing this proposal, you know, as as the media and the public are getting their first look at this, I mean, it's not adding up. He's saying it's $47 million less. He's adding 60 a little over 60 million in new programs and saying it's a smaller budget. 
Um, and so we're trying to figure out where where are the big cuts, right? How does that add up? Um, and what I discovered um, when look, going through line item by line item is that last year's um, allocation included two one-time funding um, appropriations that the legislature gave to the State Department of Ed to distribute to schools. One was a pretty large one. That was $150 million for um, like security officers and schools. It's a three-year program, but they got all the money last year. And then there was a $10 million program for, you know, reading and dyslexia um, materials and, and funding for that. So what the department did is they counted that as last year, all of that as last year's revenue, and then said, well, this year is now smaller what we're proposing. But if you take those away, what they're proposing this year is actually larger. All right. Well, budget documents are clearly public record, um, but uh, you don't have a copy of the spreadsheet. Why not? Well, I sort of do. Um, this was the one of the biggest challenges of covering this meeting and also very, very unusual. The board members all have copies of this. For some reason, the State Department has not put it online. They put the agenda. They put other materials. They did not put this budget spreadsheet online. In years past, we have always gotten a copy of this. I mean, a printout at the meeting, advanced look at this. I mean, this is a huge deal. I cover this every single year. Um, this is a huge amount of money. It's the biggest state agency. Of course, we want to see how they're proposing to spend these dollars. Um, you know, myself and some other reporters at the meeting uh, really pushed them to give us copies of this and questioned why it was not being provided um, ultimately, we were able to get our hands on one that had been given to a board member and took photos of it. That's how we got copies. But I don't know why the State Department is not putting it online and is not handing out copies of this. Like you said, clearly, I mean, it could not be more public. Now, the budget request uh, will now go to the legislature where lawmakers have the final say, right? That's right. I mean, they could totally disregard everything that was just passed or they could consider it and, and you know, do some of these things if, if they feel like it. What else did the board address at the meeting this month? So there were a couple of things. Um, you know, Tulsa Public Schools came and gave their first monthly update. This was um, part of the agreement when they, uh, you know, risked, uh, had this takeover risk uh, recently was that they would come back every month and update board members um, so we saw that. Um, and then there was a an emergency rule that was passed. This kind of came out of the blue for us, at least. The department had not really given any indication that this was coming. And this was um, a rule that relates to um, gender um, changes on public um, or on school records. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Anything else we should be watching for at the Department of Ed? I mean, we cover these meetings every month. It's always, um, you know, it's always something new. So we'll keep covering. Thanks, Jennifer. You can read all of Jennifer Palmer's coverage of education in the state of Oklahoma on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to her weekly newsletter, Education Watch.
With me for this segment is Oklahoma Watch Audience Development Director Sean Witt. Uh, Sean's here to talk about not a news item, but a forthcoming event. Yes, lessons from the mansion. If I were governor today, we are about three weeks out from that event. Uh, tickets are still available. Tables are still available for that. Um, it is going to be Brad Henry, Frank Keating, David Walters, and Mary Fallon, all on a panel discussion about their time in office as governor and kind of what they would do today if uh, they were governor. You know, the dilemmas and the in the in the challenges that are currently. Uh, facing our governor, Kevin Stitt. Well, we're going to talk to them a little bit, uh, as the title suggests, Lessons from the Mansion, some of the things in retrospect that they were proud of that they accomplished while they were in office, and some of the things that, looking back on it, maybe they wish they had done a little bit differently. Uh, and we'll certainly ask them for their take on what's going on today and uh, whether they would approach it all the same way that uh, our current governor is approaching it. It'll be an interesting discussion either way. Where is this event taking place? It is going to be at the St. Luke's downtown campus. Uh, it's in the same uh, room where the Oklahoma City downtown rotary takes place. Uh, so I know if a lot of our listeners are familiar with that particular location. Uh, the event starts off at 1130. Um, you know, it's going to be a Buffet-style buffet lunch, um, and then a program will kick off uh, right around noontime. So um, we have a an outstanding surprise in store for everybody. Um, I, I would highly suggest coming to this event just for the surprise alone. I mean, the surprise, I wouldn't say it's better than the event, but it's going to be equal to the event. Say no more, you'll ruin it. I, I'm trying to dance around it as much as possible with that. I, I couldn't even tell my wife. Now, what uh, what do tickets to this thing cost? Uh, they're $75 a piece. Um, you can buy a sponsored table for $750. Um, or, you know, you can, uh, you can there's still a couple of sponsorships we have available. Um, and you can certainly reach out to me at swit at oklahomawatch.org. Uh, and I can give you a little bit of information on that. Uh, you can go and purchase your tickets by visiting our website, oklahomawatch.org, there's an event tab. I uh, just click on that and it will take you right to the ticketing options. And uh, other than obviously paying for the event itself, where are the proceeds going? They're going straight to Oklahoma Watch, Darn baby. Right yeah. 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 Just in time for Newsmatch, we hope. And uh, Oklahoma Watch, of course, is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, independent news organization. So this is a fundraiser for us. A uh, good opportunity to come down, uh, hear the four former governors figure out what crazy surprise Sean has in store. Oh, and, I cannot wait. Uh, support uh, independent nonprofit journalism in Oklahoma at the same time. Sean, anything you want to add? Uh, we will have our donation drive coming up starting in November, so please be on the lookout for that. I wouldn't say hold on to your donations at this time, but we have our Newsmatch program uh, starting up in November, um, and that is a really big, uh, big deal for us. So stay tuned for more information on that. All right. Thanks, Sean. So coming up October 26th at lunchtime in downtown Oklahoma City, Lessons from the Mansion. If I were governor today, you can get your tickets at oklahomawatch.org on the events tab. Lionel Ramos covers race and equity for Oklahoma Watch. 
His latest story looks into the state of corporal punishment as a form of discipline in Oklahoma public schools. And who is harmed most by that practice? Lionel, what did you find in reporting this? Yeah, my article piggybacks off of a report by the Tulsa-based nonprofit Oklahoma Appleseed Center for Law and Justice. And, you know, the essence of it is that Native American students, black students and students with disabilities are hit by public school educators, its teachers and principals the most. Uh, according to federal data from 2017 to 2018 school year, uh, which is the latest available. What does corporal punishment mean for students who are subjected to it? Decades of research and experts in the field of children's mental health that I spoke to say that students who are disciplined with physical violence often grow up to have uh, mental health problems, right? A greater propensity for such problems. Uh, Things like depression, anxiety, uh, difficulties regulating mood, and uh, different personality disorders. They're also more prone to use violence as a solution to their problems as they grow up. Um, because it's ingrained in them early on. Now, aside from, you know, the debate about whether uh, corporal punishment is uh, appropriate at all, um, one of the things that was really revelatory in this study was that uh, Native uh, and Black students and students with disabilities um, uh, are are uh, punished physically more often than white students. Tell us about that part of the study. Yeah. So, you know, in 2017, 2018, Native students were 13.6% of the total school population of the state. Uh, But they were 24% of those that were hit by educators at school. Uh, Similarly, students with disabilities, uh, you know, they saw a very similar trend. They were 16.5% of the state student's population and accounted for 21% of those who were punished with physical violence. Um, You know, black students are an interesting case. Statewide, they are 11% of the students and 5% of those that were hit. Um, But in schools where it does happen, where corporal punishment is, you know, still a policy and it's practice, um, they were 2% of the student population and made up for 5% of those that were hit. So in the schools that are you know, where it's occurring, which are primarily rural, you know, there's a rural-urban divide there. Um, Black students are more than two and a half times more likely. All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit more about that and that uh, urban and rural divide. Um, You know, there's a higher concentration of Black students in the urban areas, uh, which are districts that do not employ corporal punishment, right? Have district rules banning that. Um, but that's not true everywhere. So where where are we still seeing corporal punishment in public schools in our state? Yeah, that year, 137 of 512 school districts engaged in, in corporal punishment. And a vast majority of them were in rural parts of the state, mostly southeastern Oklahoma and northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, you know, places like Idabel, Okima, Sequoia. Um, and, you know, like you said, schools in urban areas are, uh, you know, largely not doing this anymore. Uh, but those that are out kind of on the corners of the state um, are. And the thing about that is that in those more rural areas, Native students and students with disabilities make up a greater percentage of the student population than they do in urban areas. 
And basically the opposite is true for black students where they are more highly concentrated in urban areas and a smaller population in those rural areas. So the way that the numbers are kind of broken up um, in places where it is happening, these demographics are, are disproportionately subject to that punishment. All right. Now, the state law allows for corporal punishment uh, throughout the state, but as we indicated, not every district uh, engages in that. Why not? Well, there are two laws in books right now related to corporal punishment uh, in public schools, and one of them makes the practice legal uh, with the exception of, you know, doing it on or to students who are, um, who have the uh most severe cognitive disabilities. Um, and then there's another law that delegates the authority to make disciplinary policy in schools solely to school boards, to local district school boards. And, uh, you know, those two together make it so that the schools in urban areas uh, that tend to be more progressive, if you will, uh, more, uh, you know, have a higher diversity just kind of as a baseline, um, tend to do it less, and those in, in more rural areas tend to do it more. Right. Now, uh, Oklahoma, uh, are we the only state that still allows corporal punishment in public schools? No, we're not. Uh, we're actually one of 17. Among those are uh, Texas, Louisiana, um, Arkansas, you know, some of our neighbors. Um, and obviously, there's more than a dozen uh, b- besides that. Um, but most of the country and actually most of um, actually all of Europe and 138 countries across the world uh, have banned it. Now, have there been efforts to change the law? There have. Most recently, uh, this, you know, past session, 23, uh, 24, um, Representative John Talley introduced House Bill 1028, which was supposed to prohibit the hitting of students with disabilities. Uh, It passed the House and it failed in the Senate and advocates for that bill or hoping that it, it passes next session. Now, what what does the opposition say? Who's arguing in favor of corporal punishment? You know, the bill, like I said, passed the House and it failed once, was reconsidered, was voted uh, for reconsideration, and then it passed overwhelmingly the second time. That second time, eight legislators voted against it, um, one of which was Representative Jim Grego, uh, he's a Republican from uh, um, uh, Wilburton. And, you know, I spoke to him and asked him why his vote was what it was, why he voted against that bill. And he said that corporal punishment in school was, uh, and at home was something that he was raised with. It was how he was brought up. And he thinks it's a necessary deterrent to bad behavior. He said that, you know, after we talked about it a little bit and, and he's heard from more constituents that he's changed his mind when it comes to students with disabilities specifically, but not for the rest. Uh, In other words, uh, he'll be voting to pass House Bill 1028 if it gets reintroduced into the House. This is what he said. All right. Well, thanks, Lionel. Uh, You can read Lionel's uh, coverage on the topic of corporal punishment in Oklahoma, as well as find links to the study that was the basis for that story from Oklahoma Appleseed. You can find it all on our website at oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch 
which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.